you don't have to shout. Maybe you do. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. We're also heard up in California in, uh, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR. In Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950. And occasionally in Houston on KPFT. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Desi Doyen, do you sign online petitions by any chance? Why not? Why don't you sign them? Well, uh, you know, I don't sign them uh, for a number of reasons, mostly because these online petitions are usually just scams to get you into some, you know, someone's mailing list, basically. But but even the legit ones, when they do have uh, when they have something to do with a political matter or something as a journalist, I don't think I should be going on record uh, generally supporting or opposing any particular thing or candidate, etc. But that's just me. Now, there are petitions where I don't uh, think it's meant to get you on a mailing list, uh, you know, to ask you for money or whatever. But um, but it still will like this brilliant petition at MoveOn.org probably and get you, uh, you know, on their mailing list. Uh, This brilliant petition that a user has posted now has almost half a million signatures since it was created Last week, 430,000 signatures when last I checked. Don't know if you saw this. I think it's brilliant. Uh, To be delivered to New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, New York City Council. We request the stretch of Fifth Avenue between 56th and 57th Street to be renamed President Barack H. Obama Avenue. (laughs) Any addresses on that stretch of Fifth Avenue, the petition says, should be changed accordingly. And then it offers background. It says the city of Los Angeles recently honored former President Barack Obama by renaming a stretch of the 134 freeway near downtown L.A. in his honor. I drive on that stretch of the freeway with some frequency. It's near his old school. Yes, Occidental College. Yeah. 
Uh, they say, we request the New York City mayor and city council do the same thing by renaming a block of Fifth Avenue after the former president, whose many accomplishments include saving our nation from the Great Recession, serving two completely scandal-free terms in office, and taking out Osama bin Laden, the mastermind behind September 11th, which killed over 3,000 New Yorkers. The title of this petition, Rename Fifth Avenue in front of Trump Tower, President Barack H. Obama Avenue, which I think is a brilliant idea. And frankly, I hope that Mayor de Blasio and the New York City Council take up the idea, uh, which has now been signed by nearly half a million people in just the past week or so. And where is that petition again? Uh, at MoveOn.org. Uh -huh. As a matter of fact, we'll link to it. Uh, when we post the show at bradblog.com today, the petitioner of this thing, uh, Elizabeth Rowan, told Newsweek that the whole thing started as a joke before it then took off. She said she saw a comedian joke about how it would make Trump so mad if it was if uh, his stretch of Fifth Avenue there where Trump Tower is located was renamed after former President Obama. And she said, I thought, why not? But there is a problem uh, for Rowan. The honoree of a street in New York, New York City at least, um, needs to be dead for at least two years. Mm. But the petitioners are hopeful. She, uh, Rowan told Newsweek that these laws are arbitrary and they can be worked around. That is true. Keith Powers, the Democratic city councilman who represents the district encompassing Trump Tower, said in a statement, I quote, I recognize and understand the great deal of support behind the petition to rename Fifth Avenue in honor of President Obama. President Obama embodies the best of our political system and leaves a remarkable legacy. The classiest president of our time deserves better than being honored next to the home of Donald Trump, he mm. says. Uh, he has and will always deserve more than that, says Powers. So don't know if that's actually going to happen, despite how brilliant I think it is and how they sh totally should do that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's sort of a fun petition. But there are actually petitions that actually have legal standing. One of them is now being circulated in the state of Georgia, where, as broadcast listeners know probably all too well, a federal judge last week found that the state's 20-year-old, 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system was unconstitutional, given the many flaws in that system, which the uh, judge described in her 153-page ruling as unsecure, unreliable, grossly outdated, seriously flawed, vulnerable to failure, breach, contamination, and attack, and that they are so horrible and unverifiable that the U.S. District Court Judge Amy Totenberg declared the systems, which, by the way, are similar to touchscreen, unverifiable touchscreen systems used in many other states. She declared uh, the systems to be a violation of voters' constitutional right to have their votes counted as cast. But that's OK. Georgia's uh, former secretary of state, now Governor Brian Kemp and Georgia's current secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, have already selected a replacement system for those uh, machines that the judge says cannot be used as of 2020. The replacement system will be in place theoretically for next year's 2020 presidential race. Uh, in a state, by the way, which is now believed to be very much in play as a swing state next year. 
The new system uh, is <laughs> another unverifiable uh, touchscreen voting system instead of a verifiable hand-marked paper ballot system. This uh, new system is 100% unverifiable. Now, we had a plaintiff uh, in that case. We had the plaintiff, Marilyn Marks, of the Coalition of Good Governance on the show last week on the day Judge Totenberg's ruling came down. And she has vowed to challenge those new systems as similarly unconstitutional to the current unverifiable systems that they've been ordered to get rid of. Marilyn says she will be filing a motion against those new systems as well very soon. And the judge indicated in her ruling that she's not hot about the idea of another system that is almost like the old one. In the meantime, however, thanks to a little-known Georgia law, Marilyn is uh, now helping to circulate a petition that is legally binding that would call for a review of the certification of those brand-new systems. According to Georgia Public Radio today, just before air, the secretary of state now says that he is reviewing a petition signed by more than 1,400 people asking for another second, deeper look at the state's new voting system, which has just been certified. The petition, delivered on Monday morning, alleges several issues with the state's certification process of this new System uh, made by Dominion Voting Systems. They are a Canadian firm. Uh, the new system includes touchscreen ballot marking devices, electronic poll books, and so forth. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger certified the machines August 9, just about, what, a week or so ago, after a third party is said to have completed uh, tests of the equipment, quote, against the requirements set forth by voting systems by the Election Assistance Commission and their 2005 Voluntary Voting System Guidelines and the state of Georgia. The, uh, this new system, which Marilyn Marks describes in a press release as a new barcode balloting voting system, is fundamentally flawed. It cannot meet Georgia's election code and violates voting protections of the U.S. Constitution, she says. Voters will no longer tolerate unauditable electronic voting systems in Georgia and are taking back control of their elections through actions like this petition that officials cannot ignore. In fact, they cannot ignore it. They cannot legally ignore it. This is actually not just a petition to help you feel good or to get you onto a uh, you know someone's mailing list, but this is actually part of state code that if just 10, 10 or more Georgia voters request the re-examination of a voting system, as long as they foot the bill for that testing, then state law says the Secretary of State's office must uh, actually re-examine those systems. And there's a whole bunch of problems with the certification, according to the uh, folks on the ground in Georgia, um, for one, let's see, uh, Jeannie uh, Dufert, a, uh, one of the citizen organizers of the petition, says a candid and professional examination will determine that the system is not fit for Georgia's public elections. Indeed, Texas evaluated the same Dominion system and its six professional examiners unanimously rejected it as subpar for Texas elections. 
She goes on to say, if it's good enough for Texas voters, why, if it's not good enough for Texas voters, why should Georgia taxpayers spend $100 million on it? Good question. So this is an important petition, which now has, it only needs 10 signatures. It now has 1,400 signatures. I would say they've met that threshold. Yep, as of this morning. And so uh, state officials are going to be reviewing the signatures as well as the contents of the petition, uh, the petition to decide how to proceed, according to Georgia Public Radio. And by the way, Maryland's group says they will continue to gather petitions uh, that have this legal standing here because she hopes to get at least 10 signatures from each of Georgia's 159 counties by Friday night of this week. I'll link to that petition as well when I post today's show. Uh, please note, by the way, it's for Georgia residents only. And I'm not sure it might even be registered voters in Georgia only. Not sure. But if you're in Georgia, please sign this one. And then there is another petition with legal standing that has gone like gangbusters over the past week or two up in the state of Alaska. A petition that begins the process to, yes, remove the governor of Alaska, Republican Governor Mike Dunleavy, who was just elected months ago in November. And believe it or not, this is not this effort is not being led by Democrats, but by a coal baron, a longtime Republican legislator. And even the last living remaining member of the Alaska legislature who signed the Alaska Constitution when it became a state 60 years ago this year. That man happens to be a Democrat. But the story of what's going on way up north in Alaska to remove the state's governor as the state burns amid global warming and our climate crisis and as Donald Trump made a secret deal to allow a huge and environmentally catastrophic mine that nobody in Alaska other than maybe the governor actually seems to want that amazing story and what may happen here is all straight ahead with the great Jeannie Devon formerly of the Mudflats blog now the communications director for the state Democratic Party which is watching all of this in absolute disbelief Stay tuned for that story on that petition and much more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Way up Oh, I love that song. I am always happy when we have an excuse to play it. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, uh, we haven't had the reason to play it uh, very much lately because ever since Alaska's former Republican governor and failed vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin sort of dropped off the radar in favor of a crazier, equally uninformed Republican who says who, who is, frankly, even dumber and more objectionable uh, in his statements than she was, who now serves as president of the United States. Ever since then, we've sort of lost uh, lost track a bit about what's going on way up north in Alaska. But we shouldn't, because there's actually a lot of political turmoil brewing there right now, and it is not getting a lot of media attention down here in the lower 48. Not to mention, of course, the absurd climate-changed-fueled heat waves and fires that have been uh, sweeping across the state in cities like Anchorage that have made it warmer up there for many days in Anchorage this summer than even down here in Los Angeles, believe it or not. The political turmoil has also extended to Washington, D.C., all the way from Alaska, where a major mining project called the Pebble Mine controversial project which has been opposed for years by indigenous and non-indigenous Alaskans alike for the damage that it will cause to the pristine Bristol Bay watershed and uh, one of the world's most prolific salmon fisheries there. Um, The EPA had blocked construction of that mine under Barack Obama after finding that it would cause, quote, irreversible loss of fish habitat. But the Trump administration's EPA recently reversed that finding shortly after a meeting reportedly with the state's new Republican governor, Mike Dunleavy. But that apparently was not the main issue that has now led thousands of Alaskans to sign a petition to demand a recall election to replace Dunleavy after the Republican was just elected last November. According to the Anchorage Daily News late last week, a group now trying to recall Dunleavy from office said on Thursday that it has now collected 29,577 signatures in two weeks. That's about 1,000 signatures more than the amount needed to apply with the state to advance their recall effort. For that, just 28,500 signatures are needed, which was uh, collected very quickly in the state on the heels of drastic line-item veto budget cuts by Dunleavy of some $433 million from the state budget. And that is a lot in a state like Alaska. With only about three-quarter of a million people there in all, the radical cuts included about $130 million, or 40% of the state's budget contribution to the University of Alaska. Recalled Dunleavy organizers said late last week they will keep collecting signatures until September 2, in part to demand uh, to meet demand from Alaskans who are angered by the governor's actions and in part to build a buffer in case some signatures are disqualified. The grounds for recall statement lists grievances against Dunleavy involving, quote, neglect of duties, incompetence and lack of fitness. The chair of the recall group said the recall signers have forced the governor to back off on some of his line item veto budget cutting measures just last week, highlighted by announcements that Dunleavy would replace the $130 million University of Alaska cut with a 
$70 million three-year step-down plan instead, and that he would restore about $30 million to senior benefits, early learning funds, and Alaska legal services that had also been slashed in his initial effort. Organizer Mita DeWitt said that Dunleavy said he was going to hold the line no matter what, and then the recall happened, and now he's saying he had a conversation with Alaskans, and he's just now starting to understand Alaskan values. Just now starting to understand Alaskan values? This man is the elected governor of Alaska. On Tuesday last week, however, while announcing his new modified but only slightly less radical plan for the university system, the governor said the recall effort was not a factor in that decision. I guess he just changed his mind for fun. If the uh, recall petition is in fact certified and survives what could be long legal battles, the organizers must then complete a second signature drive to get their petition on the ballot for a vote. They must acquire signatures of more than 71,000 registered voters or 25 percent of the number of voters in the last general election. Joining us now to talk about what the hell is suddenly going on in Alaska is an old, old friend of ours who we haven't had on the show for many years, uh, not since back in the days when Sarah Palin was leading the charge of the Republican Party straight off the rails. And uh, Jeannie Devon was better known back then as A.K. Muckraker, the creator of the great Alaska blog known as The Mud Flats. Jeannie now serves as the communications director for the state Democratic Party, believe it or not, in a state where... Republican, Democratic and Independent does not always mean exactly what it does down here in the lower 48. Jeannie Devon, thanks for joining us today on the broadcast. Congrats on tricking the state Dems into naming you as communications director. <laughs> and uh, and how's the weather in Anchorage today, Jeannie? <laughs> well, it's very smoky. There are crazy amounts of wildfires in the state. We normally have a... Uh, a fire season, mm -hmm. sort of, which is maybe half of July, but uh, this year it has really gone crazy, and there's high winds, and everything has been very dry. We've had mm. virtually no rain um, this summer, and it's just a big tinderbox, and we've got about two and a half million acres that have burned already. Oh, man. And so if my voice sounds a little funny, that would because <laughs> I uh... feel like I'm sitting next to a, a campfire up here. Yeah, well, that... Sounds nice, but I guess not a campfire that large. Uh, Dr. Uh, no. Brian Betschneider, a uh, Ph.D. climatologist in Alaska, had tweeted last week that Anchorage just set a new record for number of 70-degree Fahrenheit days yeah. uh, in a year with uh, 43 days. The normal average year sees just 16 days above 70 degrees. Uh, now, down here in the lower 48, Jeannie, many Republicans kind of toss off these increasing heat waves and fires and the record July heat, which was, by the way, the hottest month ever across the globe ever recorded on planet Earth. Uh, they say, oh, well, you know, it's it's just hot in the summer. Do folks in Alaska regard these kind of mind-blowing uh, temperature records and fires that we're seeing up there the same way? Or do they, or, or do they have more concern than those of us down here? 
Well, there is definitely um, more concern, and I, you know, I've been here about thirty years, so mm-hmm. I've sort of watched the climate deniers mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of make this evolution from it's not happening to well, it may be happening, but it's normal, and there's nothing we can do about it. And this summer has been a huge eye-opener for folks because you said the average number of 70-degree days was 16. That's even really high compared to when I first moved here. I Mm. think my first summer here in the early 90s, we had two days that went above 70 degrees. And a couple weeks ago, it was 90 in Anchorage Mm. for the first time ever. And I... uh, and not only do we have the dryness, yeah. the fires, but we have huge erosion problems due to melting sea ice. So there are communities along the western coast of Alaska that are like washing into the sea. We have wildlife issues where salmon by the thousands are having heart attacks because the water is so warm that they can't make it to their spawning grounds. They don't survive. They just die in the rivers. Oh. Walruses are having problems. Polar bears are having problems. I mean, it's it's catastrophic. It's wow. really um, tragic. And and this is and the reason I ask is because you know I know the folks in Alaska of any and all parties you know live a lot closer to the land and the environment and the animals and the climate than uh, many of us do down here. So I would think right. so. So there's sort of an acceptance really across party lines about uh, concerns uh, concerning the climate crisis at this point there? Or is it still, is there still a separation? There's more than there used to be, but the problem comes from the fact that 90% of Alaska's income is based upon royalties from the oil industry. Mm. So, you know, on the Republican side, you have to find Republicans who can hold in their head at the same time, oh my God, climate change is destroying our state, but also we need to do whatever the fossil fuel extractors want us to do because otherwise we go broke. And I I guess I'll take this opportunity to also note it's kind of a socialist system up there, isn't it? That (laughs) has been set up by the uh, well, by both political parties and the fossil fuel industry where uh, people across Alaska get free money every year from the government vis-a-vis the fossil fuel industry. Am I right about that? You are, and it's set up that way because, you know, um, if you lived in North Dakota or Texas and you owned a big ranch and they discovered um, natural gas or oil on your property, that would be your oil, Mm -hmm. and you would, as an independent person, be negotiating with oil companies to extract that resource from your land. In Alaska, if that happens, that resource is owned communally by everyone in the state. Mm Mm-hmm. So we actually have written into our state constitution that our resources are to be developed, quote, for the maximum benefit of the people, unquote. And, of course, people interpret that in different ways. Mm -hmm. But part of that um, is that the the profits that we make from oil as a state are a portion of those are taken and divided up to each individual man, woman, and child, um, who lives in the state, and they get a percentage of that oil royalty. And this year, our our state um, budget mm-hmm. battles have centered around how much of that we get versus how much of that is going to fund government services. Which is a great transition here to get into this recall effort against Mike Dunleavy. But I, I just want to underscore that what you just described, Jeannie Devon, sure sounds really socialisty. 
coming from a state that seems to keep electing, um, well, a Republican governor last November, but Republicans right. uh, to the White House seemingly uh, year after year. Oh, uh, yeah. I uh, mean, it. you know, I look at it and it's mind blowing because it's basically what it is. It's two things. It's it's the, you know, the people owning their own resources mm-hmm. and it's minimum basic income. Yeah, because Alaska has <laughs> the least uh, disp- income disparity of any state, and this really? is why. And the the permanent fund dividend, or the PFD, as as people up here call it, mm-hmm. keeps twenty five thousand Alaska families out of poverty every year. Mm. It's a huge influx of almost a billion dollars into the local economy for you know around the holiday time. It usually comes out in October. So people will buy Christmas presents and people will pay medical bills and people save it for college funds. So it's, you know, for some, they'll frame it as, you know, oh, well, you just buy a big screen TV or go to Hawaii. But for a lot of families, it really does cover basic services. And, you so know, this is, again, part of the, the difficulty in having this battle is because, you know, both sides are essentially correct in some way and that i I just you know if if something like that was uh suggested down here by one of the democrats who are running for uh, president in 2020 i mean you know they would call them a communist a socialist everything i mean they're going to call them that anyway but that's what's actually going on in alaska so with that in mind uh, the organizers of this recall election of a newly elected Republican Governor Mike Dunleavy, as far as I can tell, they aren't actually Democrats per se. Am I correct about that? At least it is not the Democratic Party that is behind this effort? Uh, the Democratic Party is not behind, well, I would say we're not behind the effort, but mm-hmm. it is not generated at, from the Democratic Party at all. The three people who have organized this recall, which will demonstrate the breadth of disgust for this governor, mm-hmm. um, the first one is our last living constitutional delegate, who is mm-hmm. 95 years old. He's a Democrat. His name is uh, Vic Fisher. He mm-hmm. served in the state legislature. So he's one of them. Another one is a, is a former Republican legislator and Republican gubernatorial candidate named Arliss Sturgelewski. Mm-hmm. So she's the second one. And the third one is a guy named Joe Usabelli, who is a basically a coal magnet. Yes. <laughs> so you have across the political spectrum, across the um, economic spectrum, mm-hmm. across industry, it, it is the, the cuts that the governor has proposed are so deep and so drastic and so far-reaching that everybody from, you know, nonprofit industries to church groups to the Chamber of Commerce to big leaders in, in both major parties are all on board. Native corporations, mm-hmm. um, it's across the spectrum. What? People are, are getting involved with this recall effort. What the hell? And this, uh, yeah, Joe Usabelli, uh, he's the chair of Usabelli Coal Mine, Inc., as I understand. What the hell is a coal boss, coal mine boss, doing uh, leading a, a recall effort of a Republican governor? Do you, do you have any sense of what his complaints are here? Well, it's the same the same thing as, you know, the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, you do have folks that are Republicans who are, you know, industry Republicans, business Republicans who are conservative but who are not 
ideologues in the way that Governor Dunleavy is. Mm. And he is um, coming from the point of view of really breaking government. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's where the line is drawn. And there is a sense, even though he's he's been here for, you know, a few decades, mm-hmm. I think. He was born and raised in Pennsylvania and comes from Scranton. <laughs> ah, um, okay. But... There, there is just a sense that he does not love the state and he doesn't understand the state. And that, to me and to many people, and it may sound corny, mm-hmm. but folks that live here really do have a very deep and abiding love for their state, more so mm-hmm. than if you were in, you know, because I've lived in a smaller state that's connected to a lot of other states, mm-hmm. and there is not that sense of place, and love for state that you have in Alaska, because we really are kind of like an island, mm-hmm. and kind of like a separate country, and, but also part of the United States. But it's a very, I'm, I'm imagining it's kind of like Hawaii. Hmm. You know, if right. you're there, you're committed to being there. Right. And it right. matters to you very much what happens in your, in your state. You, um, you mentioned... So that's the dividing line, I think, that you, people feel. You mentioned uh, a, a Democrat, a Republican, and a coal boss who are sort of uh, uh, leading this effort. Uh, also, their legal advisor on the recall effort is the former chief of staff of your previous governor, Governor Bill Walker, who was an independent. So it's Republicans, yes. Democrats, independents, business uh, yes. people. They are all against this guy. Um, and in addition to those deep cuts that I mentioned at the University of Alaska system and other services, Dunleavy also slashed $335 million, or no, uh, not $335, $335,000 from the state Supreme Court budget because the Supreme Court upheld the constitutionality of abortions. That sounds yes. like a separations of power issue, if I ever heard one. Uh, but do I read that right? Is he punishing them for a legal decision that they made by actually cutting their budget? Yes. It, it, <laughs> is, it's staggering. Is that legal? I mean, no. No? <laughs> I mean, it, it's unconstitutional in, in so many different levels. I mean, it's, it's chilling that you can have a branch of government that not only will do their own calculations about the number of dollars that the state has spent on abortion, but will then line-item veto just that amount from the entire court system as punishment, and three, announce it publicly that this is what they're doing and why. So that's how he came up with 335000 He figured that was yeah. how much the state currently spends on various abortion services, and we're just going to take yes. that much from the state Supreme yes. Court? <laughs> I, from the court system, yes. I, I mean, that, this is, that's, that to me is a, wow. very, um, a very telling, of, of all the stories, that one is very telling as to how this guy thinks. Has he backed off? I know he's backed off somewhat on some of these other cuts. Has he backed off on this attack on the court system there? Um, No, not so far. And we will learn much more about um, his final word on the budget. He's going to be making 
a video announcement. He's not having mm. a press conference, so there will hmm. be no questions. I there see. will be no press there. Right. He will. He'll be showing it on his YouTube channel. If anyone wants to wow. tune in and see what he has to say, very courageous. Um, <laughs> yeah. This guy. But the cuts you... that he restored were basically uh, they were primarily pre-K, which he had cut entirely, and senior benefits. And senior benefits. So this guy was just elected last November. So yes. I guess my question is, is all of this a surprise, uh, really? I mean, this is what Republicans do. They cut the hell out of everything right. that voters actually want, the services we support. Um, why, why, why is he doing this? Is there a budget shortfall up there? I mean, how can this be such a surprise? Well, there is a budget shortfall, but the budget shortfall has happened basically because like I was saying, 90% of our money comes from oil. Mm -hmm. The oil market collapsed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we lost a great deal of money, but instead of restructuring our, our oil tax system to return it back to what it should have been. And if you can believe I'm going to be saying this, the better system that Sarah Palin had put in place, oh my. Oh my. <laughs> which got which got eroded by her predecessor. Uh-huh. If they had restored a fair oil tax system, we'd be doing fine. Because right now, there is the amount of hole in our budget is exactly the same as the amount of oil taxes that we're allowing um, major oil companies to write off wow. and not and, pay us. And that sounds. So, that sounds exactly like what we saw in uh, Oklahoma in recent years, where they had also sort of had a, uh, a budget that was dependent on uh, on an oil rush there, on the fracking rush there, and then that began to dry up, so they started cutting services. This also sounds right. a lot like what happened in Kansas a Kansas. few years ago. <laughs> yep. Uh, where And there's a reason, I think, for that. Uh, in Kansas, uh, you had this uh, Ronald Reagan devotee, Governor Sam Brownback, who slashed uh, education and, and, and uh, right. public safety and infrastructure budgets, only to be ordered by the state Supreme Court there to to restore funding because it's a state constitutional mandate that those things must be adequately funded. You guys Correct. have something similar another, up there, another right? Reason, yeah, that's another reason for this recall. They they have, you know, because as much as people dislike the, the vetoes and the cuts, you can't recall a governor because you disagree with their policies. Mm-hmm. They have to be shown to be violating the Constitution, to be unfit for office, to be, you know, there's a, there's a list of things and um, and that is very much one of them is the constitutional obligation of the governor to ensure that education and public safety are adequately funded. And you can't be instituting the types of cuts that he is because he's cutting public safety, mm-hmm. he's cutting education, um, and and still be you know fulfilling your responsibilities. But he has cut Medicaid. He has cut the the Alaska ferry system, which is basically the highway system for Southeast Alaska, because there mm. aren't roads. Mm-hmm. It's the ferry. Right. We're the only state now that has no state council on the arts. He is slashing services for the homeless. We're expected to have 800 more homeless people on the streets in Anchorage this winter. Um, oh. Addiction facilities sanitary sewers in rural Alaska, earthquake monitoring, Mm -hmm. the ocean rangers that make sure cruise ships don't pollute, um, rural emergency medical services. Even this is, and this is one of the smallest ones, but he even cut the money 
that would have earthquake-proofed children's libraries in schools Jesus. so that giant bookshelves won't fall on tiny children. Well, they sh you know, those kids uh, spend too much time reading books anyway these days, so this that'll teach them. It's amazing. It reminded me of like, you know, the scene in The Grinch, the lat where he reaches down and takes the log for the fire. Yes, yes. It really <laughs> yes. is. Now, he took the log for the fire at the end. Unbelievable. Now, yeah. the, all of these cuts you're talking about, I, I had mentioned Kansas. It's not actually a, a, a mistake. It looks like he hired this same uh, woman, a woman who, who has only recently begun to come to light here. I think her name is Donna Ar Ar Arduin. If I recall, yeah. she was yep. uh, responsible for finding the cuts to make in Sam Brownback's Kansas. She was hired by the state of Florida to do the same uh, under Rick Scott. Uh, I think she was also in Arizona doing the same thing. Now she's been Illinois. hired in yeah. Illinois. Now she's uh, so all these Republican governors hire this lady and say, hey, cut anything you want from our budget. Let us know what it is. We'll announce it and we'll mm -hmm. do it. And now she's up there in Alaska doing the same thing. Absolutely she is. And and wow. we, we up here who have sort of an outsider phobia when it comes to our political life, yeah. <laughs> we're looking at this woman thinking, what is going on and what is she doing? And I was watching um, Senate Finance Committee meetings, uh -huh. you know, where all the sausage is sort of being made. And after he first announced his, his cuts back in February... Um, she came forward as the as the OMB director in front of all the senators in the finance committee and had to answer their questions. And her responses basically said, you know, when they said, well, what is this going to do? Like, you, you have a 41% cut to the university system. What have you thought about what, I mean, what does this mm -hmm. look like? What's going to happen? And she said, well, it's, she literally said, it's not my job to understand the effects of these cuts. It is my job to cut. Wow. Jeannie Devon is the uh, communications director for the Alaska Democratic Party. Um, Jeannie, I also want to ask you about Pebble Mine very quickly in a second, but what is the TikTok now on this recall effort? Uh, what it, when, so the first set of signatures uh, looks like they've already made it, uh, most likely. Uh, when, are, when are those approved? And then You've got a second set of signatures that need to come in to actually put the recall on the ballot. So I'm wondering yes. what the chances are of getting that many signatures in Alaska. It's a, like 70,000, if I recall. And, it is 70,000, yes. And, and then it moves forward. Um, if it moves forward, uh, when would this recall actually be? So d can you walk me through some of that real quick? Sure. So they have more than enough signatures right now to submit the application for a recall petition. Um, but they're going to continue going on for a couple reasons. Number one is because there's a bunch of people who really just want to sign. It's, it, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of funny, but people are, it's almost cathartic for people to be able to sign this because they've felt so helpless watching all of these um, programs be eroded without wow. really feeling like they can do anything other than testify and send an email and sign the petition. Uh -huh. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the state fair is about to start, and that has, you know, tens of thousands of people will come through there. And so they want to be able to explain to people the process for the recall, mm -hmm. explain to people that they need to sign twice, that if they sign once, they can come back again after the, the application's been accepted and sign the actual uh, petition to put it on the ballot. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it is a PR thing and an outreach thing. 
Um, so then they will submit all of those signatures, and then presumably if the application is approved, then the recall comes out, then they get the 70,000, which I really think they can do. I mean, they got 30,000 signatures pretty much in two weeks. Right. So, so wh- I, I don't see, and, and nobody was going door to door. It was a very organic grassroots, you know, uh-huh. hey, I'm at the supermarket in my pickup truck in the aisle C, come sign the recall petition. Right. It's really been funny to kind of, you know, to watch this. So and there wh- are businesses and, and whatnot that have them at them as well. If everything moves forward as uh, hoped by the organizers, when would this recall election actually be at that uh, at that point? And, and who takes over if he's removed? Is it his own hand-selected lieutenant governor? Is an election held for someone else at the same time? How does that even work in Alaska? So um, as far as when it's going to happen, I'm just shooting from the hip and I'm thinking maybe the primary election in 2020, maybe the general election in 2020. Mm -hmm. It will be a a process, but I don't know. It's hard to say. It's just guessing Mm -hmm. when that process will happen. Mm -hmm. And as far as the second part goes, (laughs) sadly, um, the person who will take over is the lieutenant governor, but the lieutenant governor is not a hand-picked spot. The lieutenant governor runs in a separate, uh, on a separate ticket. Okay. So the governor has no power over who their lieutenant governor will be. Uh, and so who is the lieutenant governor, and is he or she uh, the same kind of nutball that Mike Dunleavy is? So he is not the same kind of nutball that <laughs> Mike Dunleavy is. He is a former executive of ConocoPhillips. Oh, boy. That's and he is, fantastic. you know, a very nice man. Uh-huh. He's not a jerk, but he's an oil executive. And he was one of the two votes that happened to give us the current oil tax system that we have now. And he was allowed to vote as a current employee of ConocoPhillips at that time. Wow. So that's what we have to so, look forward to if all if everything goes as planned, as hoped. Yes. So wow. we'll be like out of the fire, but into the frying pan. Boy, I miss the good old days when uh, so, <laughs> when we had a responsible Republican governor like Sarah Palin in office hey, in Alaska. I did not mention to you, uh-huh. guess where Mike Dunleavy is from? Where is he from? Wasilla. Is that right? <laughs> oh, the, the whole neighborhood. The whole neighborhood's yeah. in power at this point. We did not learn our lesson the first time, apparently. Jeannie Devon, stand by for one second. I want to take a quick break here, and we'll come back uh, with just a, a, a few closing minutes here to talk to you about Pebble Mine, because this is a really huge issue that is not getting nearly the coverage that it deserves uh, down here. I don't know if it is getting it up there or not. Uh, Jeannie Devon is the uh, communications director for the Alaska Democratic Party. Quick break, and we are back with just a few more minutes on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com speaking with Jeannie Devon, 
the creator of the much-beloved blog, The Mudflats, which you can read at themudflats.net. She is now, somehow, incredibly enough, the communications director for the Alaska Democratic Party. It's been a while since we spoke, and uh, I'm delighted she's uh, here helping us uh, figure out what's going on with this attempt to recall the Republican governor of Alaska. That looks like it actually could happen. But, uh, Jeannie, there's another issue that I want to hit here with you real quick before I let you go. Uh, Pebble Mine. This is this huge mining project that has been opposed by Alaskans for years up there for the environmental damage that it is believed that it will cause uh, in a fight that opponents thought they had finally won under Obama's EPA, which nixed the project. But that sort of uh, changed in the past couple of weeks, I believe. There was a secret meeting or at least a meeting between Donald Trump and Governor Dunleavy? Yes. So um, Alaska geographically is in the perfect spot for presidents who are heading to Asia Mm. to stop and refuel. So when uh, Trump went to Japan um, several weeks ago... Mm -hmm. Um, Air Force One landed at our, you know, our Air Force base here in Anchorage, mm-hmm. and Mike Dunleavy popped on board Air Force One and got a couple photos taken with the president, and nobody thought too much of it until it was revealed that literally the day after that meeting happened, um, Trump contacted the EPA and basically said, you're, you're going to reverse your decision on the pebble mine. And the EPA folks said, what? Right. <laughs> We're completely uh, stunned. And this is a project that has been, I mean, we've been fighting this project for well over a decade. Yeah. Because it is incredibly important. And the EPA under Obama and even the EPA pre, <laughs> pre-Air Force One meeting with mm-hmm. the governor of Alaska was basically saying, no, even in a best case scenario, this mine will destroy this fishery. It isn't if, it's when. And uh, as I understand it, the Trump White House had denied the meeting had even occurred until CNN showed the photos of the meeting. Right. What, what kind of mine are we talking about? And uh, is it uh, is, is basically how, how important is this salmon fishery, not just to the to the earth, really, but to uh, to the people of Alaska? Well, it's the largest wild salmon fishery, uh, sockeye salmon fishery on the planet. Um, it employs almost 20,000 commercial fishermen. Mm. It feeds a region of indigenous Alaskans who have been surviving off of these fish for over 10,000 years. Mm. It is not only a food staple, but really an entire culture. I mean, the entire Pacific Northwest can sort of understand that salmon uh, culture. Um, And I forget the first part of your question. (laughs) Uh, Well, well, what kind of damage would it do? What kind of mine are we talking about? Oh, we're talking an open pit gold and copper mine of an incredibly large scale. We're dealing with almost a trillion dollars estimated net worth, Mm -hmm. which is why they are so persistent. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're dealing with a region of the globe that is incredibly seismically active. It's right on a fault line. 
Um, the land around Bristol Bay is sort of a complex series of lava tubes and all kinds of geology that they don't even really understand much about. So when you're talking about the cyanide and the chemicals that are going to be used to leach out the gold and copper and make these big tailing ponds, we don't know where that water goes, hardly. And especially when there's an earthquake and... Correct. So to give you an idea of scale, in order to contain these tailing ponds, you would have to have an earthen dam the size of the Space Needle, the height of the Space Needle, that would last literally forever in a seismic zone where we've had some of the largest earthquakes ever recorded. Well, that sounds easy. Uh, is there yeah. a uh, is there a specific effort? Uh, once again, are the 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 folks who had been opposing it for so long uh, in and were sort of breathing a sigh of relief after the Obama administration nixed this project? Are they now scrambling back uh, together to challenge this project, or is it a done deal now that the Trump EPA has said uh, approve? No, it? there is always always an effort, and it's um, the the local organizations here that have been the most active. Um, Cook Inlet Keeper, um, part of the Inlet Keeper mm-hmm. network. Trout Unlimited has been very active. Uh, Bristol Bay Native Corporation has been very active. This this crosses boundaries um, again, crosses political boundaries. Mm-hmm. You have many um, hardcore Republicans who are very much against this mine, right? Because it's not only commercial fishing; it's sport fishing, tourism. It's the you know native culture and way of life. It's people who eat salmon, and we're realizing now that farmed salmon, you know, has all kinds of ecological mm-hmm. implications for their environments that are all bad. Um, so preserving the largest wild salmon fishery on the planet is important to a lot of people. And I suspect you know, we've gotten chefs involved from across the lower 48 that, you know, wait for the first runs of sockeye to come in. And mm. it, it's a diverse group that feels really passionately about it and it is by no means a done deal nobody's nobody's giving up um and hopefully we will have a different administration in the white house that maybe understands this a little better in a couple years well and yeah and i'm hoping it's also a major aspect of the recall effort against the governor at this point which i'll underscore again uh that effort led by a coal guy so uh genie very quickly uh alaska has been a pretty reliable republican state for many years now in presidential elections is there any reason to believe that all of this between uh dunleavy's behavior uh budget cuts uh and of course uh trump's approval of the pebble mine is there any uh belief that any of this might change the equation in 2020 you know as some see as a possibility for example in texas next year or should uh, donald trump rest easy when it comes to uh the possibility of him winning alaska next year Well, I don't think he should rest easy because the last numbers that I've seen in terms of polling put his, put him at about 50-50. And this was a couple months ago and this was before the Pebble Mine issue. Mm. So I should say also Pebble Mine polls about 65% negative pretty reliably, sometimes higher than that depending on the region that you're talking about. Meaning so people a, who are it against... It is a unifying um, cause. It is not just a, a regional cause. Mm-hmm. It is a statewide, 
very unpopular project. So that cannot have helped his popularity here. And I think, you know, um, I think anything's possible. I mean, Mm. this is Alaska. (laughs) This is Alaska. We've seen some strange things happen here, and I would not rule anything out. I mean, Alaska hasn't gone blue, hasn't gone, uh, yeah, blue since Mm -hmm. the Johnson administration in the presidential election, but that was all before oil was discovered. Mm -hmm. So the discovery of oil really turned Alaska red. Um, Mm. But, you know, we had an independent governor. We have a, a divided legislature um, that doesn't, you know, stick with party lines. So it's going to be crossed for us, and I'm working hard to yeah <laughs> make I, that happen. I guess you are. They're uh, going to be a very interesting few uh, months uh, ahead in Alaska, Jeannie Devon. I hope you'll stay in touch with us uh, as as this entire process moves forward. It's absolutely fascinating. Jeannie Devon is the communications director for the. Alaska State Democratic Party. Her old blog, where you can still see some of her postings, is themudflats.net. And you can uh, tell her how she's completely wrong about everything on the Twitters at (laughs) AKDems. Jeannie, a delight speaking with you. Hope to do it again soon. Thank you so much for having me. You You take care. Thank you. Oh, she's delightful, isn't she? (laughs) Yes, yes, she is. I love Jeannie Devon, and I'm delighted to have reason to talk to her again on this show. Oh, I know, and I'm really impressed by the success of this petition recall drive. This this has gone like gangbusters so far. So are you uh, ready to rethink your your uh, feelings about petitions that you said at the top of the show? Yeah. Yeah, actually, okay. I am. I'm surprised at how successful okay. they are, at least the ones that can be legally binding. Legally binding. That's the key. Yeah, yeah. This will be really interesting to watch as it moves forward. Excellent. Anyway, uh, my thanks to uh, Jeannie Devon and my thanks to you, Desi Doyen, our producer today, mm-hmm. and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. It is uh, all of our shows going back, well, not since the founding of Alaska, but damn near (laughs) about 15 years. Those are all free for you to download, and that is all thanks to those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to make a one-time donation or uh, an easy monthly uh, supporting donation of any amount you like. It's all automatic. It takes about 60 seconds. And it helps us do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. You can share what we do there. And that is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.